This morning is the occasion for the annual ordination and installation of new church officers. And therefore, we're reading this morning one of the passages of Scripture having to do with church officers, that is, the office of elder and deacon. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 3, for the reading of God's holy Word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have called us out of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son, that we, by your Spirit, through your grace, might be united to Him as members of His body, indeed, your children, members of your household. And so we pray, our Father, that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would speak to us what it means to be your people in Jesus Christ. And we pray for the sake of your glory that you would build us up in faith, hope, and love that we indeed might live upon the earth as the citizens of your kingdom and the children of your household so that all the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of your name. Amen. The Word of God, it is written. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, or might be translated the women among them, likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, 
vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever, and to His name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. What would you think of an organization that did not have any recognized leadership? Think about what it would be like to work for a business or a company that did not have a leadership structure in place or an educational institution. What if no one were in charge? with the responsibility and the authority to make decisions. Think, for example, of an athletic team without a coaching staff responsible for the overall program and without the authority for the instruction and discipline of the individual athletes. Think about a family in which there is no recognized leadership. No matter what kind of human organization you can think about from the highest level of government to the military to community and civic social organizations to the basic family unit in the home, if there is no recognized leadership with the authority to make decisions, others accountable to the values and the expectations of the organization, if no one is responsible for anything and no one is accountable to anyone or to any standard, then what do you have? In a word, you have chaos. And here's the biblical theological payoff for that. Chaos is the devil's workshop. Satan is the God, the little g God of chaos. The true and living God whom we worship revealed in Jesus Christ is the God of peace because He is the God of order. Now, just think back. You remember, think back to the first chapter of Genesis. The orderliness with which God fashioned the creation, bringing order out of chaos by the authority of His Word. You remember that. Listen, think about that. By the authority of His Word, God fashioned and established a very good creation, characterized by order, peace, harmony, and unity with diversity. You remember that. It was Adam's sin which brought chaos, corruption, and destruction into God's very good creation. Now I want you to make a little leap with me. We're going to connect a dot. The church of Jesus Christ, by virtue of His work of redemption, by virtue of His work of new creation by His life and death and resurrection and ascension into heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon His redeemed people, the church of Jesus Christ is the new community of God's new creation. 
And so we will sing later this morning, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is His new creation by water, the Spirit, from heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride. With His own blood He bought her, and for her life He died. And therefore, for the sake of order and peace and well-being and happiness, that is blessedness and the flourishing of His church for whom Christ died, God, by the authority of His Word, has established the offices of leadership in His church. So, big point number one, the idea of having elders and deacons for the church is not a human idea. It is God's will decreed by His Word. It is God's will and God's intention that He be glorified in His church and that the world might see the kingdom of heaven manifested in His church on the earth, and that in His church, His everlasting new creation through Christ might, as it were, spring forth as a beautiful bud of new life, even in the midst of this dying old creation, all for His glory. And so the offices of ruling elder and deacon are part of the leadership structure which God has established in His church by the authority of His Word for His glory. 1 Timothy chapter 3 sets forth the qualifications for elders and deacons. And the first point here is that from the very beginning of the New Testament church, There was recognized, authoritative leadership which was responsible for the well-being of the church from the very beginning. There was recognized, authoritative leadership which was responsible for the well-being of the church. For example, everywhere that Paul and his colleagues went preaching the gospel, they gathered the believers together and formed a church and then appointed elders for the oversight of those congregations. Acts 14, 23 says that Paul and Barnabas, quote, appointed elders in every church. So let's pause right here and think about the obvious, the sort of thing we don't often think about. Throughout the New Testament, Christian believers are gathered together in local congregations under the leadership and oversight of elders. It's just basic to the New Testament. I'll repeat it. Throughout the New Testament, from the very beginning, Christian believers are gathered together in local congregations under the leadership and oversight of elders. You see, in earliest Christianity, there was no such thing as a churchless Christian. 
There was no such thing as a believer in Christ who was disconnected from a local congregation, who was not incorporated into the body of Christ as a member of a congregation, and who was not under the leadership and oversight of elders. That would have been a completely foreign, unimaginable concept, a a contradiction in terms, an oxymoron. Now, churchless Christianity is a fairly common concept in America today, (laughs) but you won't find it anywhere in the Bible. It it is commonly assumed in America today that you can be a faithful Christian or, you know, a good Christian without being under the leadership and oversight of elders, but you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. And that means, therefore, that living the Christian life apart from or without regard for or not under the oversight of recognized church leadership is simply a notion which is completely foreign to the New Testament. (laughs) Wow! And you know what? These are probably new and foreign concepts to lots of Christians today. It might sound rather strange. Really? Yeah, really. And that's because American Christianity, American so-called Christianity, like our culture in general, conformed to this world, (laughs) American Christianity has become very individualistic, very me-centered, and very consumeristic. What it does for me, what I get out of it. In American culture, we often think of the church as a place we go to to get our spiritual needs met as though the church were, shall we say, a preferred restaurant, (laughs) rather than thinking of the church in terms of who we are, the family to which we belong. You know, there's a big difference between eating at a restaurant and eating at the family table. Isn't there? You know that difference? You know, there's a big difference between belonging to a club and belonging to a family. Isn't there? You know that difference? There's a big difference between belonging to a club to which you pay dues 
and belonging to a family in which you are given your identity. There's a big difference between belonging to a club to which you pay dues and belonging to a family in which you are given your identity. And if you've never made that paradigm shift in your understanding of the church, and some of you haven't, if you've never made that paradigm shift in your understanding of the church, please do so right now. Because at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the Scripture, the Word of God, calls the church the household of God, the household, the family of God. So we need to think of the church not as a place we go to, nor as just another human organization with which we voluntarily associate ourselves when it's convenient. But instead, we need to think about the church in biblical categories. To think about the church the way God says think about the church, such as a flock with shepherds, or one body with many members in unity, or as in this passage, God's household, God's family, by adoption, through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, who loved the church and gave Himself up for her. When we think biblically about the church in terms of being God's corporate people, God's family, then we can better understand the role and responsibilities of elders and deacons, together with the pastors who are called teaching elders in our denomination. Ruling elders and deacons provide the leadership structure for the family, the household of God in our congregation. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, quote, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, in that verse and in verse 2, the Greek word for overseer is the Greek word episkopos, that is epi. Scopos, episcopos, overseer. In Paul's letter to Titus, the words overseer and elder, the Greek word there is presbyter, from which we get the word presbyterian. The Greek, the, the words overseer and elder are used interchangeably to refer to the same person in the same office. Likewise, in 1 Peter chapter 5, the elders are exhorted to exercise oversight. Overseeing is what an elder does. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul addresses the elders in Ephesus, reminding them that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers 
quote, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. That's a breathtaking statement. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. You see, the church is not just another human organization. Not at all. It is God's work of creation, new creation. It is God's household. It is God's family which has been brought into life by the death of His Son. Let me say that again. Church is not just another human organization. It is God's work of new creation in this old and dying world. It is God's household, God's family, which has been brought into life by the death of His Son. That's who we are. That's our core identity. And that's why it's so important that the church, the bride of Christ, be led and governed and protected and served by faithful church officers for the glory of God upon the earth. And what's really interesting and important is that in 1 Timothy 3, when Paul sets forth the qualifications for elders and deacons, he does not focus on a list of natural abilities and talents and skills. How about that? The emphasis is on attributes of personal character, personal Christian character. Elders and deacons are to have exemplary character as mature Christians. In both 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the list of specific characteristics for elders is very similar. First, the elder or overseer is to be, quote, above reproach, which refers to general reputation as a man of integrity who is respected and whose leadership can be trusted. In both 1 Timothy and Titus, the second characteristic listed is that the elder be, quote, the husband of one wife which more literally translated is a one-woman man. The point is marital fidelity, marital devotion, and no question about it. Now, of course, that applies to all married Christians. Of course it does. But it is especially important that this quality be evident in church officers. And there it is, right at the top of the list. The marriage bond, the marriage relationship. An elder is to care for the church, the bride of Christ. Well then, how does he care for his own bride? See the connection? The church, the the, the elder is to together with the other elders and the pastors, to lead the bride of Christ. How does this man lead his own wife, his own bride, in the way of Christian discipleship? Well, this also highlights the high, high, high value and standard of sexual purity in true Christianity. The same qualification is listed for deacons. However, in that section regarding deacons, as also in Romans 16, there may be, this is disputed, but there may be some evidence of women also serving in the office of deacon, and therefore our congregation 
has adopted the policy of having women serve on the diaconate as well. But related also to family life, elders and deacons are also required to raise, nurture, and discipline their children in an exemplary manner. 1 Timothy 3.4 says, he must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Do you hear it? There it is again. The church is God's household. The church is God's family. If a man isn't leading his own family in the way of Christ, how can he be expected to lead the church? Regarding deacons, 1 Timothy 3.12 says, managing their children and their own households well. So there again is the connection of family household and the church as the household of God. Is a man qualified to be an elder? Well, what is his own family life like? Is he raising and nurturing his own children in the faith? Are they growing into maturity as disciples of Jesus Christ? Or are they worldly? Rebellious and out of control. Generally speaking, is his own house in order? Is there evident love and joy and peace and order and harmony in his own household? Or is there chaos? You see, being an elder or deacon is not simply about being a good businessman or a skilled organizational administrator. Being an elder or deacon is about being a Christ-like, responsible, relational leader in the home and in the church because the church is the household of God. The other characteristics likewise speak of spiritual maturity, sober-minded, that is, taking his responsibility seriously, self-controlled not flying off the handle, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. Well, all of these describe a general character of trustworthiness, a man of good judgment, self-discipline, and good public reputation. This is very important because From time to time, elders will be called upon to make some very painful and difficult decisions in cases of church discipline, which we have experienced in our own congregation. And in such circumstances, the church needs to be assured that she is being led by mature, humble, gentle, wise, faithful men. Together with the pastors, the elders have the responsibility for making the major decisions concerning the church's life and ministry and mission. Our session, the the governing body, the installed elders, is not a board of directors. Forget it. Forget it. And God's Word in Scripture requires you the members of the congregation, to submit yourselves to the leadership and oversight of the elders. Wow, what a countercultural concept. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, quote, 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. One of your membership vows is, do you submit yourself to the spiritual oversight of this church session? And one of the vows that you will take this morning is, Do you continue to promise to yield to all your officers all the honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which the ordination as an officer entitles them according to the Word of God? Think about that. Listen to that, how countercultural it is today. Listen to the Bible, the Word of God speak to you about obedience to and submission to your church leaders. That that is biblical church life. It's a foreign concept in America today. But that's the reason that having mature, godly, humble, gentle, strong, trustworthy, wise, self-sacrificing, faithful Christian men as elders in the church is so vitally important. And to guard the church, to keep the church from running off the rails and going into the ditch in the way of the world on its path to hell. Pastor Jonathan and I are thankful that God has raised up and is raising up such men to serve alongside us as ruling elders. Thanks be to God. To Him be the glory. Most of the character attributes required for elders are also mentioned as qualifications for deacons. Now, the word deacon literally means servant. Not the same Greek word for slave, no, but referring to one who offers practical, hands-on service for the good of others. But listen to this. Jesus himself referred to himself as the model deacon when he said of himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In that verse, the word serve is the same Greek word from which we get the English word deacon. So, the self-sacrificial service of the deacons reflects the self-sacrificial service of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. That's a beautiful image. Now, based on Acts 6... The office of deacon is seen as as one of service, taking care of the physical, practical, material needs of the church. Deacons do not have a governmental or authoritative or a ruling or a disciplinary or teaching role. But the church could not be the church without them. Our deacons are our servant leaders, our hands and our feet in the areas of congregational care, fellowship, hospitality, building and grounds, missions, and worship support through the ushering ministry and the church beautification and chancel committees. And are we ever blessed to have deacons who deek with all their heart 
and soul. Oh yes, we are to God be the glory. Our deacons are the can-do, will-do, get-it-done servant leaders who handle the logistics and execute the plans to carry out the ministry of the church, and they do it with a cheerful heart and a willing spirit. Thanks be to God. And so, with the elders fulfilling their role and responsibility as spiritual overseers of the church, spiritual overseers of the souls of members of the church, and the deacons fulfilling their role and responsibilities for the practical ministries of the church, do you see it now? The whole body of the church is strengthened. This spiritual infrastructure of leadership and servanthood provides the church with order, peace, strength, and stability so that the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ may go forth into the world unhindered by chaos. Got it? That's the most important thing, you see, because the whole point of having a happy, healthy, strong, and growing church, and we're thankful for God's blessings upon us in this season of our life, but let's get this right. The whole point of having a healthy, happy, strong, growing church is not about us. It's not about us. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ going out to a lost and dying world. It's about the truth of Jesus Christ being declared in a world of lies and false hopes. It's about the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ so that all the world, including more and more people right here where we live, may know and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord that more and more people may be brought into the church, the household of God, as members of God's family, through faith in Jesus Christ, who loved the church and gave Himself up for her, to the glory of His name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has come into this world to call us out of darkness into His everlasting light and to bring us into the communion, the community of your redeemed people. May your word, by the power of your Spirit, Renew our minds and transform our lives so that we might live more faithfully in accordance with it. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.